you know, we always say to our staff, yeah. our younger staff, when they tell us that they had their first nightmare about an event, they <laughs> wake up cold sweating at night that something went wrong. We say, good, that's the way it should be. That means we are switched on, you know, that's the mode that we're in right now. It's just all hands on deck at the moment. Hey, this is Jesse here with episode 98 of the Betting Startups podcast, where we welcome back the one and only Pierre Lind from Next.io. In this one, Pierre reflects back on a busy 2023 that included new investment for his company, a major rebrand, and a doubling of the headcount of the Next.io team. He also shares his thoughts on the state of the industry's startup ecosystem, the role of industry trade media, and of course, lots of good discussion about the founder journey. Pierre remains one of my favorite people in the industry to speak with, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. The Betting Startups podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five US operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listen to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card. All right, we are back with episode 98 of the Betting Startups podcast, and I'm really excited to welcome one of my dear industry friends back for another appearance on the podcast. The Earth has almost completed a full orbit around the sun since we last had you on, Pierre. That was in February of 2023, of course, now it's January 2024, so almost a full year. We're a little bit older, hopefully a little bit wiser. Probably most importantly, we're still here. So welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Great to have you here. Happy New Year. And how are you doing? How's everything on Malta today? Happy New Year to you as well, Jesse. It's great to be back here on the podcast. And I must say, you look very stylish in the uh, Next.io hat that you're wearing that the audience probably can't see at the moment, but I can see it and I appreciate that. Things are doing well, my friend. It's been a been a hectic year. A lot has happened. A lot, a lot, a lot has happened. And, and every time we go into a new year, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other, the other day, and he was saying, you know, 2024, this is the year where it either happens or it don't, you know, and, <laughs> and I just laughed a bit because I feel like every year is a make it or break it year, whenever we started, right? Especially for us as startup founders, it feels like every year we are trying to kind of move, like we are trying to kind of like move through the year in order to get into the next year and grow and grow and grow without kind of falling off the, the ladder, so to say. So I would say that that is very much what 2024 is about as well. It's just to continue grinding and do the best we can. Well, I'd say you and the team are doing an excellent job. So just to give you a little bit of reassurance there, let's talk a bit about 2023 though, maybe just to get us warmed up here today, Pierre. I mean, as I say, you were on almost a year ago. We talked a lot about at that time, iGaming Next, now called Next. We'll come back to that in a moment here. But, you know, 2023, from the outside looking in, you and your team did a whole heck of a lot and, and continue to really be, I think, very positive champions and ambassadors and evangelists for the industry. And I know that runs really deep in your, your DNA personally, but also the organizational DNA of Next. And, you know, you really are, I, I think, fighting the good fight for the industry and doing a lot of good work in support of that. But I guess just to, yeah, maybe talk a bit about 2023 in the rear view now, a couple big milestones you and the team celebrated over the year. At some point last year, you, you raised some new capital. So, you know, some, some new investment to help support a lot of the various projects and initiatives that you're working on. And then, of course, a little bit later on, a, a rebrand. It's actually right around G2E, I think. And I want to just sort of maybe talk about that and, and some of the major milestones, I guess, that you guys have accomplished since you were last on this podcast and kind of what it means to you to hit these milestones and, and just sort of how you view those through the lens of, of continued sustained progress. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Jesse, because within our team, we are now around 40 people in the, in the team and we have grown quite quickly and, and something happens with time when you're in a growth company where it almost feels like a year feels like 10 years sometimes, because every day there is so many things happening at the same time. And the company, when it's growing, it's evolving so quickly that whenever you set up new processes. A couple of months later, those processes are already outdated and that can generate quite a lot of issues internally. And it's kind of like, you know, move fast and break things. It's like the classic <laughs> saying, right? And, and, um, that's very much, I think if we were to summarize the year for Next.io, that is very much uh, a good summary because internally, when we look at what we're doing, 
there's a lot of, we say like, we have, we have a lot of growth pains internally and the feeling of that, oh, you know, we should do better. You know, we should learn from previous years that we need to communicate better across the teams, that we need to become more efficient, that we need to work more aligned as a team and so on and so forth. And then sometimes you just have to say, okay, guys, just hold on one minute here. Like, look where we were one year ago and look where we are now. It is natural when a company grows that it uh, experiences growth pains. And actually the growth pains that we do experience is pretty mild compared to many other organizations. And so you kind of have to like wake up a little bit and realize that, you know, the things that we have done in, in a year is quite, for us internally, we should be really proud of those facts, you know, and part of that this year is like we relaunched our website, which was a really big project for us. We moved CRM from Salesforce to HubSpot to integrate both our sales and marketing teams into this new CRM, which is kind of like the main system that kind of connects the company and where we kind of do our, most of our work from now. We rebranded the company from Next to Next.io, as you just mentioned, which was a big step forward as well for us. We organized Next New York, which was a sold out conference, a lot of work going into making sure that that became a success and then. Moving on to uh, Next Valletta, which is our second major conference that grew 50% from year to year and became both the best industry event of the entire year globally, which we were super proud of as well. We hosted Agami Idol, which is our award show that had over two and a half thousand individual nominations, massive work there as well. We raised capital into the organization to continue the growth journey that we are on currently, and we doubled the workforce at the same time. And we're trying to do all of this while we're, we're growing on all fronts. And so kind of all the products are growing at the same time. The structure internally is growing at the same time. The workforce is growing. We have a lot of new staff and so on. And all of this, you know, somehow we made it work. It's actually something when you look in the rear view mirror, that are, I think, some of the major challenges that the startup face is, you know, how do you try to grow as quick as you can while also keeping the organization structured without any kind of like weak links in the organization. And I'm really proud of the team for going above and beyond, you know, because nowadays it's much more than just me, you know, even though I'm the face and the MD of the company, the, all the departments need to work in symbiosis. We are learning as we go along, essentially. Well, lots to be proud of for you and the team in 2023. And I, I wanted to maybe just sort of ask about you personally and, and in your own journey through 2023, I mean, as you just outlined, I mean, you essentially doubled your team size and, and you're on a very strong growth trajectory right now for the business. And I guess to talk about, I guess, the founder journey, right? Sounds like 2023 was a very pivotal year that's going to position next for a very strong few years to come here. But for you personally, like balancing all of this, right? I mean, doubling headcount is a massive thing and all of the organizational change that comes with that and making sure that you retain the culture that you built through the first 20 hires. And, and maintaining that and, and adapting it to some degree as well. And, you know, following you on Instagram and like you're, you're traveling constantly, you're seeing partners, you're maintaining relationships within the industry. It's just, it strikes me as being a lot. And I just want to like check in with you personally, like how are you doing? How are you basically maintaining the energy and enthusiasm that you're able to? And I know you have to at some level, but, you know, a, a little bit of a compromise. I mean, I'm sure you'd like to be spending more time with family and doing things like that. Like how have you sort of reconciled the demands of this journey that you're on with the realities of the fact that you have to go all in on it. I think it's inevitable when you sign up to start a company and to run a company that there is sacrifice that comes with the gig. And um, it's just impossible to to escape that, right? And I was speaking to Tomas uh, of Kirosports the other week, and he said the same thing, you know, where there isn't much of a private life. You know, most of the things that you do is connected to work. And that is also true in, in my case, and I think most other founders' cases as well. It's not easy, for sure. And it, th there are moments that are quite tough, you know, ups and downs in, in the company. And I think from the outside perspective, often you don't really see those ups and downs. But when you're in the mix, you're experiencing them with full force. But something I learned, I think, that I've really been trying to pay attention to a lot is now that the team is growing and we have, you know, 40 people, they very much look to like the staff very much look to their managers and to the leadership team and to the MD mm -hmm. to kind of get a feeling of like, where is the company heading? They, they, they are always nervous themselves, you know, the assemblies, they are sure. considering their own careers and being part of a dynamic startup is, is a risky move to do for any employee. And so they always walk around with their own thoughts, you know, and 
it's really important, I think, that the leader is aware of the energy that he or she sends to the team. And so to that end, they look to me for stability. They look to me for assurance. And they look to me to trust that I'm doing the best that I can and to steer the company in the right direction the best way I can. You know, So I think for me, I try to keep that in mind that at all times that I should lead with example. And I try to spend time to speak to my team to understand what their feelings are. I'm a big fan of doing skip level meetings. This is what Elon Musk talks about all the time, which is rather than meeting the manager, I try to meet the staff because oftentimes they have a much better idea of the feeling within the team than what I might have. So it's really interesting and good to listen to them as well, to hear what their feelings and thoughts are and so on. But yeah, from my own personal point of view, I think with time as well, like I've run companies now for 10 years, and I think you understand during that time that certain moments are going to be difficult. And when you get through a difficult moment, you also realize that there's going to be more difficult times in the future. And either you accept that this is part of the journey and you try to live a sustainable life. So when it comes to work, I'm a really big fan of what Joey Levy said in Vegas during the GeoComply event. He said that he really prioritizes sleep, for example. And it's a hugely important thing to make sure to get those eight hours a night sleep. And I think to me, when like you, you always have to be aware of, are you on a trajectory that is not sustainable? And one of the first things that happens when you're about to approach a burnout, I think is that you start losing sleep. Like when the stress and your actual situation doesn't match, if you're stressed when you go to work, that's a warning sign. If you can work extremely hard during the day and pulling long hours, but then when you go to sleep, you sleep, that's an important health sign, I think. So like those are the type of things I think that is uh, important to, to keep in mind when you navigate this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also a person that appreciates eight hours of sleep a night. I worry that's going to be compromised a little bit here with the impending change in my family status here for the next little bit, but <laughs> see what, see what baby Learmont has to say about yeah, that. Exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. I, I, I will miss the eight hours, but Hey, it's a positive trade-off. <laughs> right. I guess, you know, Pierre, just to maybe stick with startups in general for a bit and, and sort of the founder journey, looking back on 2023, I, I've had a few conversations with other industry founders that have admitted that it's been incredibly challenging for them as well. There's there's a lot of good people, good teams, good companies, good ideas struggling out there for a variety of reasons. You know, obviously it's a challenging macroeconomic environment and that plays into it a little bit. But on the other side of that coin, I mean, there, there's a lot of, of startups that, that are crushing it right now. So as always, you get the entire spectrum, good, bad, and everything in between. I guess as we enter 2024 here and you know, I know you're spending more time speaking with a lot of startups and, and Next.io generally is really doing a lot more, I think, to shine a light on startups within the industry. What's just your overall sense, I guess, right now about the early stage ecosystem within the industry and I guess sort of what maybe you expect to see transpire in 2024 that may influence or impact founders that are operating in the space? Yeah, so I think it's important to split the startup ecosystem in two from the European point of view and from the North mm -hmm. American point of view and as an outsider you know I'm based here in Malta and I don't have that as good of a reach when it comes to startups as you have Jesse but the feeling over in the in the North American market that I'm getting is that it's a tough landscape now right now right it's there's only like if we make the assumption that most of the startups are serving the operators there's only a couple of operators out there and the stronger are getting stronger constantly right so the potential customer base for a lot of the startups is is very tiny. And if you don't manage to sign contracts with some, some of these elephants, I, I remember we talked about this in the Lord podcast as well, <laughs> you quickly run out of prospective clients, uh, right? So there's, it's quite easy to target those clients, quite easy to know who they are. But at the same time, you will be in competition with a lot of other uh, startups and, and small organizations that are fighting for the time and resources of those operators. So from that perspective, of course, it's going to be a difficult market. At the same time, I think that there seems to be quite a few VCs and investors that are willing to fund companies that do have a really exciting roadmap ahead and a, and a really exciting product and, and a leadership team for that matter. And it seems to me that as a startup today, especially in the North American online gambling market, if you want to have a chance to get funded, you really need to go above and beyond in order to 
make sure that you can deliver a good pitch to the potential investors. And it's been a pretty cool journey actually to run the Vested Interest podcast series together with Lloyd and Benji, two investors in the space. And I've learned a lot through hosting that series and a couple of really interesting things that they have been pointing out constantly is how important it is to put yourself in the investor's shoes when you enter a pitch meeting to basically make sure that each pitch is unique and tailored to the investor you are sitting in front of. How important it is to understand the way they are thinking rather than just focusing on your own company and organization and what you do well. It's equally important to understand the investor because if you have a meeting with, if you, if you meet a hundred investors, you will meet a hundred individuals with a hundred different viewpoints and they will be looking for different assets in you, in your business plan, in your, in your organization and so on and so forth. So I, I think that's, has been a quite interesting learning point. So at this stage in the North American market, it seems like in order to succeed, you really have to put in the groundwork, which perhaps wasn't the case a couple of years ago when it was the startups that uh, kind of owned the space, uh, let's say. In the, in the European side, on the other hand, is uh, briefly as well, YOLO Investments, which is our lead investor in Nexoteo, just launched Fund 2, which is a 100 million mm. euro fund. And they are now looking to fund some really exciting startup in the space over here in Europe that is quite exciting. At the same time, there's another organization called Pinup. They also launched an investment arm where they will be looking to invest heavily as well in startups uh, here in the, in the European space, there's quite a lot of individual investors here as well. So it seems like the space is heating up here from a European mm. perspective, actually. There's some very targeted investments that are happening towards uh, certain aspects in the market. It's a very dynamic market here in Europe. It's changing quite rapidly. And so I expect the, the startup land space here in Europe to be flourishing. We have a happy hour as well, another fund, which yeah. is aggressively trying to grow as well. Robin Reed, the founder there, he is aiming to reach 1 billion AUM before 2030. <laughs> so uh, he's not going to have that many vacations leading up to that if he's going to manage. But th there's a lot of ambition that is pretty clear cut here on the European side. So that's exciting to see. That is exciting. I mean, almost to me, from the North American perspective, feels like the, the pendulum swinging just a little bit back in that direction. I, I would only echo what you just said. And I mean, the last five and a half years since PASPA was repealed, obviously it's been a bit of a gold rush mentality and mindset here in North America and all the attention and focus has been here, but you're right. It is a big world and North America isn't the only region in the world. And I do sense a bit of energy emerging from the European region again and, and things kind of awakening, let's say on that end. So it's exciting to have a bit more dynamism, I think, within the overall early stage ecosystem of the industry, which of course extends well beyond the shores of North America. So I'm excited for you know, more interesting companies and entrepreneurs to emerge from Europe. And I also want to come back to give a quick plug to Vested Interest, which you just talked about. It's one of your new sub-series <laughs> on the Next.io podcast with uh, Lloyd and Benji, of course, two friends of my podcast. And I think you guys have done, well, I don't know, six or seven, maybe eight episodes now. I would say that is required listening for any founder operating in this space. I mean, the sheer depth of knowledge bombs that those two guys drop on every episode of your podcast, in addition to so many amazing guests that you have joined you from time to time on that series, as I say, is absolutely required listening. And I think, you know, just sticking with some themes that, that maybe have come out from some of those episodes, I would say one thing I've observed from a North American perspective is a lot of founders have entered this space kind of with dollar signs in their eyes. They see this high growth category and they have an idea and they want to sort of just take their swing within it. And they don't necessarily come into the space with the depth of understanding about how the industry actually works and understanding the history of it and understanding a lot of the nuances about how the dynamics work. And it plays to a point that I've heard a lot come up in, in the last little while, which is do your homework. A lot of founders that I've talked to even have come into the space and it's very clear to me very early on that they're, they're pursuing an opportunity that isn't necessarily grounded in reality. And it really is a, the simple thing of they just haven't done their homework. They haven't mapped the landscape. They haven't figured out kind of what the historical context is that led us up until this moment in time and don't necessarily understand kind of what the future might look like. And again, talking about some of the founder struggles in 2023, one of the through lines for me is some of the people that have struggled are those that really haven't just done their homework, which uh, I guess happens in every industry where we're, we're not unique in that regard. But does tell a little bit of a story around just preparedness overall and back to some of the points you made around Lloyd and Benji's comment with invested interest. Yeah. So it's an interesting observation yeah. to say the least. Yeah, 
Jesse, can I turn the question back to to you, my friend, as well? How how are your ventures coming along now? I know you have a lot of ideas and a lot of different products that you want to build and so on. What's the what's the update on your side? So ventures <laughs> are going well. The podcast continues to amaze me, I guess I'll say, in so far as I think the impact it is making. And as I always say, right, it's it's never gonna do Tim Ferris numbers. That's okay. But Look, I, I go to conferences now, and I think we've talked about this before, Pierre, but like people come up to me now and like tell me like really cool stories about how the lead investor in their round first discovered them on the podcast, or, you know, they inked a big partnership with an operator that first discovered them on the podcast. So there's all these like cascading effects, I think, that when that's reflected back to me, like really kind of just gives me more motivation and, and I think makes me want to double down on this and, and just honestly trying to just create value into the ecosystem as cliche as that sounds like that's really what I'm trying to do. So to see that happening now after two years of not really being sure if, if what I'm doing is making sense, it, it's really validating. So look, the podcasts are going well, as you perhaps saw, I've somewhat expanded the little podcast empire. I'm now working with Jason Trost, who's the CEO of Smarkets and also the host of the Business of Vetting podcast. We've teamed up now and I'm helping him out behind the scenes to reestablish a weekly publishing schedule for his podcast, which is a fantastic industry podcast. And I reached out to Jason saying, look, man, like, I want to hear more from you. I understand why you're not producing more regularly. It's a lot of work. What if I was able to take some of that off of your desk and allow you to focus on, on just, you know, talking to people every week and we'll record it and, and leave the boring stuff to me. We'll take care of that. So things are going really well on that end. I guess the other thing, you know, on the commercial side of it all, like I really haven't focused on monetization whatsoever through the first two years of this. I've really just been focused on staying consistent with the creation of the content. That all being said, I'm very proud and excited to have recently welcomed a presenting sponsor of the podcast for all of 2024. So a uh, shout out to the team at Optimove and Pinny and Ronnie, and they're, they're fantastic. I actually had Pinny on, on uh, one of my series a couple of weeks ago and hearing his own like entrepreneurial journey, founding Optimove and scaling it to the behemoth it's become in the industry. It was really insightful and they're a great team. And, and look, they work with, I think, what did they say? I think like 56% of like tier one operators work with Optimum. Yep. But the interesting thing there is actually, they also provide a lot of support to earlier stage companies as well. And they're doing a lot of really good things to support startups and scale ups within the industry as well. So for me, you know, I was a bit reluctant to bring on a sponsor like that. And it, it almost feels like selling out in a way. But the reality is they were a perfect fit. I think we're very philosophically aligned. They are adding a lot of value to the ecosystem in the same way I'm trying to. So it made it a, a perfect marriage in that regard and excited to, to work with them this coming year. And I guess more broadly beyond all of the podcasting stuff. Yeah, look, talking to as many startups as I do, uh, you know, I, I get close with a couple of them. I'm now advising a couple of them. They're doing some really cool stuff. And, you know, I'm just trying to sort of help support the founders on their journeys and provide a bit of perspective, maybe a little bit of wisdom here and there help them try and avoid some mistakes I made earlier on in my own journey. So whatever I can do to add value to these other teams, I, I try to. But yeah, to, I guess, stamp it all off, keeping busy, as I alluded to, I, I'm expecting baby Learmont soon. So things are only going to get busier for me, which is I've heard from some people <laughs> that have tried to give me a little bit of guidance on this. They've said that actually having kids made them better entrepreneurs because it really forced them to be more selective with their time and really say no to a lot of things that they otherwise maybe didn't before. And Admittedly, I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of it. That will be a challenge just given the, the sheer breadth of stuff I've committed myself to. But I do think that will hold me more accountable in my own entrepreneurial yeah. ambition. Yeah. So yeah, it's, can, uh, it's an exciting say, time. Uh, 2024 is a big year. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I just say something? Yes, because, you know, I've been following you since kind of the beginning as well. And I'm reading a book currently called The Great by Choice by Jim Collins. He's the author of mm. the most legendary business book ever written, good which is um, Good to Great. Yeah, you know it as well. In Great by Choice, you know, Jim Collins, basically, he's doing this massive research over a couple of years in basically what great companies do to in order to become successful and stay successful. And he kind of studies the, the biggest success cases. And he tried to he tries to draw some kind of common denominators from those uh, companies that he studies in order to figure out if there's a formula, if there's something to learn from these companies. And one of the things he talks about is early on in a company's journey to fire bullets, not cannons. And so he says early on in a company, you either can put all the eggs in one basket and trust that whatever idea that you have is going to work out and you go full on with that idea from day one. 
or you kind of scatter your chances and you fire bullets in many different directions to see what works and what doesn't work. And eventually when you pick up momentum in some of these cases, you hold on to those and you focus on, you zoom in on them basically. And mm -hmm. I think that is, that to me from the outside point of view is what you are doing, Jesse. Like you have created something organic, you built something organic and you, you haven't necessarily raised a huge capital round and committed yourself to this like massive strategy and gone all in on that. Like you, you are very much, you're very much building something from scratch. You're testing, testing things out, things are working and you're building such a great foundation now with the startup database that you have, the name and the standing and the reputation that you have in the industry, the opportunities that come from that are immense because you have put yourself in such a unique position, you know, and I, and I do think that it's a really good example of building a company in the right way rather than going full force and then, you know, kind of learning too late from kind of what works and what mm -hmm. doesn't work you're setting yourself up for great things in the future. So I just wanted to mention that. And, and that book, by the way, is fantastic. Yeah, both Good to Great and, and Great by Choice are two books that any founder should read ASAP. Like if you're not reading it right now in this moment, go on Amazon, whatever, pick it up, finish this podcast first, and then move on straight to Good to Great. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the reflection back as well. I mean, I've been on the treadmill in the past having you know, raise money and everything that comes with that and other projects. And I, this time around, I, for this chapter of, of my life and my career and, and my ambition, much to your point, wanted to take things a lot more organically and requires a bit of patience, maybe a little bit of delusion that things will work out. I, I don't like the word delusion, maybe a little bit of like blind ambition is a better way to put it. But I had a little bit of faith that, you know, if I can just kind of keep at it, you know, good things will start to happen organically and they're starting to and, and more good sure. stuff will happen. So just going to keep at it. And to your point as well, I want to preserve optionality. That's important to me. I want to, not that I don't want to have to answer to people. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like that framing of it, but, you know, having full latitude around whatever direction I want to take things, which includes if tomorrow I wake up and decide I don't want to do this anymore, I can shut it down tomorrow and go do something else, right? And I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm, I don't have to answer to anybody in that regard. Of course, I don't plan to do that, but, you know, just having full agency over myself is, is something that's important. And I'm lucky to have good support from a lot of people rooting for me like yourself and, and like many others in our uh, respective networks. So yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to keep at it and sort of build it brick by brick, uh, a little bit day by day. As they say, like Rome wasn't built in a day, but they were laying bricks every day. That's kind of the, the philosophy <laughs> I, I take into my projects. <laughs> I love that. Well, on behalf of all the listeners, continue doing what you're doing, Jesse. Yeah, thank you, my friend. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit while we're here and, and maybe talking about content, I guess, just your overall view on content in general right now within the industry. And I guess I'm asking this from a couple of perspectives. Number one, in the past year, in addition to everything else we've talked about that Next.io has accomplished over the last year, one other thing you did was launch a premium content portal, which we could talk about. But I think more broadly than that, even, you know, there's a lot of legacy trade media within this industry that continues to do what they do. But I've also really noticed through I guess the creator economy now, there's a lot more independent creators out there that are publishing what I think, frankly, is as good, if not better content than many of the legacy trade media publications. So I guess I'm just curious to hear from you as a stakeholder in that space alongside myself and many others, you know, what is just your overall view, I guess, of like industry media right now? What's the landscape look like to you? And I guess, what do you expect trend-wise maybe coming up in, in this year and, and coming years? Yeah. There are a lot of interesting forces and trends at play at the same time when it comes to trade media and digital media in general, not just for the um, online gambling and online sports betting industry, but the advent of LLMs and generative AI is a potential disruptor for any digital media, right? You can imagine at the moment, there are quite a few startups actually, which are focusing on building generative AI tools to produce automatic content. And what that means essentially is that we will move into a digital age of infinite content because if the AI can produce content, you know, based on what is being written on the internet, we will essentially swim in a sea of endless content, right? So how do you stand out in that reality? It is important, I think, to, uh, to understand and to realize that if you want eyeballs, it's not enough to just repurpose content that other news posters are producing. You really need to focus on producing the best kind of proprietary content, which the AI cannot produce, right? 
the AI will always produce content based on what others are writing. Whereas you as a high integrity news portal need to focus on creating propriety per content. So I think that is one really important trend to pay attention to for, for us and for others. Uh, a second point is as well that content production compared to say 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, is becoming more decentralized and democratized. So you have a lot more independent journalists today than what you had 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? If you were a highly regarded journalist in the 90s, the only way to get your work published is through the tier one legacy media. But it's becoming quite clear and evident that today that the much of the most interesting content on the internet, whether it being podcasts, newsletters or content or expert opinion is being produced by independent writers or podcast hosts or uh, so on and so forth. Just look at the rise and rise of Joe Rogan, you know, as an independent podcaster and how influential that person is in American culture and global culture for that matter. Tucker Carlson is a really interesting example, mm -hmm. which belonged to the legacy media for many, many years, was fired from Fox News, right? And has now started his own media empire and much of his following is following him rather than following Fox News, right? So these individuals are becoming more important than, than the actual institutions. So that's something to pay attention to. And, and there are some within our industry, there are some incredible independent journalists uh, today that are building their own newsletters that are extremely strong. And that poses a lot of challenges for us as a trade media publication, because we need to hire the best journalists and editors that we can. But at the same time, they also have an opportunity to go freelance, do their own thing, and also earn a living from that. So we need to be very mindful of the fact that uh, we need to make sure to offer our high-level journalists and editors the best possible kind of uh, circumstances to work for us so that it's more value for them to, to stay with us than, than what it is to go independent. And, and that's definitely a challenge. And it definitely puts a lot of pressure on us to, to perform there and do, do the best that we can. And then when it comes to, you know, paid content or not, this is our kind of, we launched our kind of freemium model within Next.io. So the day-to-day -day news are for free, whereas then the deeper content that we produce that we spend a lot more time on will be behind a paywall. And this is very much kind of like us shooting bullets at the moment, where we are trying to figure out what is the right format of a paid content portal. I think in general, it is really important to produce content and be at the forefront of content and kind of be the leader of, of industry media. Because I think content production is becoming a much, much more important thing in order to be, to be seen and to be visible. And we can see now, for example, you know, with the advent of LLMs and, and uh, the, the rise of, of AI and generative AI, like for example, a trend that might happen in the future is that the, the training models, the AI models might be officially working together with industry leading content producers mm -hmm. in order to allow the LLMs to train on your specific data. And say, for example, if we build up an incredible content library over many, many years, you, you would imagine that in the future, we could be one of the natural partners to many of the LLMs who would like to train their LLMs in order to understand the agaming industry and online gambling industry based on our data, you know? So I think from that perspective as well, it's really important to make sure that you are in the forefront of content production there. But like I said, when it comes to paid content, we are very much experimenting there back and forth. And it's always a give and take with these things, because when you put your best content behind a paywall, it means that the page views are decreasing as a result. And sometimes it's, you write a really, really fantastic content piece, but it's not being seen by as many people. So there's always that kind of like tug and pull there in order to understand what is the right model here. Because at the end of the day, we think if we produce uh, extremely valuable content, it should be a crime not to be a part of that subscription model, right? If you are not part of the subscription model, you will be at a disadvantage against the rest of the industry. That's our goal. That's our aim. But it's going to take some time to get there for sure. And we try to have patience there and we try to take decisions back and forth and try new things, you know, until we get it right. Yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of trying new things, I, I love that you and your team experiment with, with different approaches to your content. And one thing you guys have done over the last year is you put together a Slack bot. And actually that's 
basically my morning ritual now is I'll pour my cup of coffee <laughs> and I'll load up Slack and, and basically Slack loads up the top headlines from the next IO portal. And, and basically that is one of my sort of daily rituals where I'll, I'll check the headlines, see if anything, you know, seismic has happened overnight while I was sleeping. I guess the wider point being, I mean, you are recognizing perhaps unlike some of the legacy media that the world is changing around us and it's incumbent upon us to adapt to the changing world. And part of that means trying new things and embracing these new technologies, embracing LLMs and AI and not necessarily viewing it as an existential threat, but actually looking at it as a tool that can accelerate some of your own work. And so I, I love, I, I think, the mindset that you're bringing to this and, and the experimentation and moving fast and breaking things, I guess, in, in the yeah. world of content within the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just one more thing of this as well, you know, it's, it's really important in, in like the, the day to day of running a business when you're so stressed and your to-do list is endless every single day, it's really, it's really easy sometimes to miss the forest for the trees. Mm. Where are the users? You know, so, so like if we look at where do users want to be served news? If we look at that very basic first principle question, a number of years ago, that answer might have been email as a primary platform. Fast forward a couple of years, it might have been the browser. So you go into the actual news portal in the browser. With the advent of the iPhone in the early 2010s, everyone wanted to launch an app, right? And, and if we now fast forward to 2024, it may be that people are in the messaging apps, right? And you mentioned Slack, Teams, WhatsApp, Telegram. That's where users currently like to get their information and news served. Right? Users don't necessarily want to navigate into a website in order to read news. Certainly not if, that, if that's a standalone website. You know, I, I like to browse Reddit, for example, and for me, that is an aggregation tool where I can get all news of the world connected to one platform. Telegram, WhatsApp, iMessage, those type of platform act similarly as an aggregation platform where I can subscribe on Telegram. For example, I can subscribe to all the news portals that I would like to get my news from, and they get served to me via push notifications. I don't have to download 15 different apps. I can have everything in one app and I can get all the kind of text-based information that I need within this one app, you know? And so where are the users? Where do they want to get your news served? And, you know, sometimes you have to look up, put yourself in the helicopter view and realize that what you did 10 years ago doesn't work today. And that's actually something I'm quite surprised over that there isn't anyone else really within the legacy media, within the industry who are thinking that way. It's still very much browser and email based, but no one is really thinking about where the, where the users are. hundred percent. So when will we see the next IO TikTok account come live? That will maybe take a little bit more time. I think <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> We're not ready for that yet. Okay. <laughs> Just, I guess, to maybe talk a little bit about as well, beyond the content, the other pillar of Next.io, which of course is events. You know, you had your, your marquee events in 2023, which are coming back this year. Can we take a couple of minutes here and just maybe talk about the event space in general? Last time you were on my podcast, we talked about the saturation, perhaps let's call it, of events in general within the industry and how it's really forced people to be quite selective about which they're attending. But I guess in the context of how Next.io is carving out its own niche and its own position within the event space, talk a little bit about what's coming up this year insofar as your marquee New York and Valletta events. Yeah, so I think it's really important as well to recognize trends, uh, Jesse. And I was certainly quite surprised over the global trend that the industry became a lot more localized very quickly. So the industry traditionally has been very, very European based. So even if certain operators were active in markets all around the world, the head offices and the product team were always based in Europe. So it was Malta, Gibraltar, London, Island of Man. Those were kind of the hotbeds for the online gambling industry from a global perspective. And then very quickly, something happened within the industry where major operators realized that in order to be successful in various local markets, they need to have a local touch. They need to understand the markets. They need to understand the culture and the people who understand the culture are those people who are living the culture, right? And so yeah. we see this very clearly now with Latin America, for example, where just a number of years ago, not that many professionals were based in Latin America or who or were Latin American in the first place, but take Brazil now, for example, there are a couple of conferences happening down there, down there that are wildly popular 
now, like extremely popular. It's all out massive exhibitions taking place down there. And the same goes for pretty much any other local market in Latin America. Now all the various markets over there have local shows, some of them. And so it's only natural for us as next to you know, that we are thinking ahead now as well, what this type of trend means. What we are going to focus on moving forward is we have our two very popular shows, as you pointed out, our next Valletta show and, and our next New York show that are serving those, serving the European market and serving the North American market. But on top of those, instead of launching new exhibitions, because we think that the trends will change very quickly. So there's always a new hot market in the industry. So every year there's a new hot market. And so therefore we need to come up with concepts that are mobile because generally when we launch an exhibition, you want that exhibition to be there for the next 20 or 30 years. That's how you make a, a show profitable. It's an extreme amount of work up front in order to launch a show. And then it takes a good four or five years before that show truly becomes profitable. And, and so we are going to focus on launching some smaller events that are more kind of boutique and sea level focused that can easily move from year to year. So we call them the elite retreats. So it's just a hundred people, 50 operators, 50 suppliers. We're going to choose markets every year that are the most hottest and trendiest markets, basically. So that's kind of like upcoming products that, that are happening. But obviously we have New York event coming up now in, in just a couple of weeks on the 6th and 7th of March. We are moving to a new, new venue in downtown Manhattan. It's the only online gambling and sports betting event that are based in Manhattan. We're very proud of that. It's not the cheapest place to host an event, I can tell you, but on the other hand, it's, it's an extremely popular event and. We are very happy and blessed that that event sold out both in 2022 and 2023. And we are aiming to achieve the same thing now in 2024. Some really high level speakers are on board. A lot of operators are attending this year, which is something we are happy about as well. And one thing with the events is it's, it's always a nerve wracking process because you work so hard for a full year and it all comes down to these two days. We can feel that within the team now that we are getting closer and closer and people are getting nervous internally. And that's where you want to be. You know, we always say to our staff, yeah. our younger staff, when they tell us that they had their first nightmare about an event, they <laughs> wake up cold sweating at night that something went wrong. We say, good, that's the way it should be. That means we are switched on, you know, that's the mode that we're in right now. It's just all hands on deck at the moment, full focus on the New York show. and. I think we're going to deliver something really special over there, to be honest. Yeah. Awesome. And just to quickly stick with the New York show, Pierre, again, a lot of people listening to this podcast are founders, entrepreneurs in the space. And I think this event to me really stands out as one that is, is probably higher value for earlier stage entrepreneurs. I know you've put a lot of thought and effort into creating value for this segment. Uh, can you just quickly talk about, uh, you know, maybe what some of the people that are maybe on the fence about attending, what they can expect and maybe why they should attend if. They are uh, startup founders in the space. Oh yeah, it's, we have gotten so many feedback from the last two years of startup founders meeting the right investor at the event yeah. and doing business because of that. And, you know, Jesse, we are obviously really happy to work with you on that front to support us there. We, we have two really cool initiatives this year that are new. Because of the bigger venue, we are adding a startup zone. So startups can apply to exhibit at a very low cost. So a more, much more affordable way to be a part of the show. That perhaps bigger companies does not have the possibility to do, but we want to support that ecosystem. And secondly, as well, we are doing a um, startup and investor speed dating event as well, where startups get the chance to meet uh, investors and pitch their product in just a couple of minutes each, basically. So it's a great opportunity to get in front of investors and deliver the pitch and get some quick feedback uh, there. And thank you, Jesse, as well, for being part of of those initiatives. The conference is uh, co-hosted together with Morgan Stanley, just like in 2022 and 2023. And that, of course, opens up the door for quite a lot of new ins institutional investors to attend the show that otherwise would be very difficult to get access to. Because of the uh, event being located in Lower Manhattan, close to the financial district, it means that we have access to quite a number of really high-level and really respected investors that attend the show. So. If you are a startup founder, if you have an idea that you want to test out, if you want to meet potential investors to take a look at your product, this is absolutely the event to attend. That's for sure. hundred percent. It's going to be an amazing event. And again, having 
gotten a bit of insight as to what you have planned, I, I can only really say without any skin in the game that this one really is a can't miss for, for any founders in this space, particularly the investor networking aspect of it. I, I really struggle to think of another event that gives that level of access, I think, in, in such a such an intimate environment. So we'll leave that there, Pierre. I think it's a sign of a good conversation that I've completely lost track of time. We've gone longer <laughs> than I thought we would. So if you're good for a couple more minutes here, just a couple quick things Absolutely. rapid fire to, to take us home. Last year, when you were on my podcast or 11 months ago, you made some predictions for 2023. So I want to quickly check back on those, see how you did, and then maybe ask for uh, similar predictions for 2024. So first of all, do you remember your prediction? You made? I know you're in the predictions business, but do you remember your prediction that you made on my podcast last February? <laughs> yes, I, I gave a pretty, a pretty bold prediction that uh, Las Vegas Sounds would acquire Evolution. I must say, to be honest with you, it wasn't that far out because uh, since then, Las Vegas Sands have launched uh, their own live studio, right? That is their big investment into the uh, online space. They launched the live studio there. So at least they chose to move into the space. They didn't, they didn't acquire Evolution, but they did take that space at least. So I'll give myself at least like 20%, you know, accuracy on that, credits, on that yeah. prediction. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, they they uh, entered the space, which means for them, I assume it was a build versus buy decision. They chose to build. If they had bought, yeah, maybe your prediction would have come true, but it was a bold one. So I can't completely fault you for maybe not quite hitting it. But let's talk about 2024. Looking ahead here, any other equally bold predictions you want to make for this year? And we'll check back again uh, in early 2025. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, Jesse. And I, I'm, I'm just going to spitball here a little bit. I haven't had time to think this through <laughs> properly uh, yet, but maybe 2024 is a bit too early but you know the scandinavian traditional legacy operator kindred is for sale right they are a publicly traded company they they are for sale currently they are doing quite a lot of cost cutting exercises that kind of alludes to that a sale is imminent and i wonder if if anyone in the north american space would would acquire kindred it would seem to me like DraftKings is a pretty good better but i wonder if it maybe it's a little bit too early for for DraftKings to make a move like that when they are still they still have a lot of work to do in front of them in in the us and added competition now and and so on from espn bet and fanatics and and others of mm -hmm. course i do think it's just a matter of time before DraftKings expands internationally and kindred would be the perfect acquisition in my opinion they have a very strong team they are very well positioned in in europe good opportunities to, to grow. They are only deriving revenues from regulated markets, which is something to keep an eye on, of course, when you're a, a US listed operator. And so it seems to me that, and, and they are really reasonably priced, you know, the, the PE ratio of Kindred is like eight times the money or something on the stock market is like super low. It would seem to me that it would be, I'm sure the offer I've come across Jason Robbins desk at least. So I'm, I'm going to say. If DraftKings doesn't expand internationally in 2024, I think they're going to do it in 2025. So hopefully I can make a two-year prediction here. Hopefully you're okay with that, Jesse. But that, that's my prediction. Well, well, DraftKings expanding internationally. Well, all right. I like that one, Pierre. We will allow a two-year prediction, by the way. We'll make an exception for you as a friend of the podcast. We'll leave the predictions there. One final question, though. Normally at the end of every episode, I ask people what they would be doing if they weren't doing anything in this industry. And I think I asked you that last time you were on. So I'm not going to ask you the same question again, but I'm going to ask you a slight variation of the same question. And it's this. If you weren't working on Next.io, but you were staying in the industry and you were going to start a brand new company, a brand new business, a brand new idea within the industry, what would that be? What would you do if you were to start a new company within this industry that wasn't Next.io? Oh my God, that's a very good question, Jesse. I, I'm really inspired of what the guys of Happy Hour are doing, Robin Reed and those guys, with the fund that they have launched, very, very targeted fund, and they are trying to kind of merge together emerging technologies within within the industry and so on. And I think there is a lot of a lot of ideas to explore on that front, especially on the European side. As I mentioned, the industry is really evolving at the moment, and there's a very clear trend that is happening within the European or the international online gambling space, which is that part of the industry is moving towards the regulated space. So you see a lot of the incumbents, the, the biggest operators, the biggest suppliers are all becoming highly regulated and they are leaning into the regulated space. Whereas the rest of the industry is moving more towards the um, pre-regulated markets, the, the gray markets and the, the unregulated space. 
from that perspective, it's a little bit hard to say how this all is going to turn out eventually. When you visit the conference here, like when you go to Sigma, for example, in, in, in Malta, like big, big show here, the biggest stands that you see now, the most successful companies are those who are operating in the gray markets currently. And it's a question mark what's going to happen there, but it, it does open up for a lot of emerging technologies and forward-thinking companies to try to think ahead and think, think new. Another thing I would say is there is, so in the regulator space, especially in Europe, the regulators are not scared of handing out massive amount of fines. There's a website, I can't remember the name of that now, but it's called like igamingfines.com or something. And, and it basically shows you how many fines are being uh, handed out on a year to year basis. And it's like hundreds of millions of pounds that are being um, given out every year. And so naturally you would imagine that uh, if you study these fines and the reason why they are being given out, whether it is illegal marketing practices or not geo targeting properly and, and stuff like that, then you would be able to pinpoint kind of what is causing most of these fines and try to think about business ideas that are helping to mitigate those fines. I think that's a really interesting space. And now, especially with the advent of AI and LLMs, I would imagine that say, for example, on the, on the marketing front, maybe it's possible to create a, an audit tool, for example, that can audit your marketing campaigns. You know, can you ask the LLM, is this marketing campaign compliant with regulation in Romania or in Italy or in France or in Malta or in Spain or in Norway? So you can imagine there are so many campaigns that are being published by any given operator and any, every single jurisdiction has a different framework for how you're allowed to market. So it becomes very complicated and maybe there's a space for uh, an AI tool that can help the marketing teams to stay compliant, for example. So I would say, yeah, compliance, I think that's the space to invest in now if, if you want to start something new. All right. You heard it here first. Compliance, reg tech, lots of, I think, opportunity there. I, I can only agree with that. And yeah, with, with all of these fines being levied, it seems like that space is ripe for some sort of solution to help minimize the pain to the operators when they're in breach of all of these rules. So we'll leave that there, Pierre. Uh, we're at a full hour now. So really want to thank you for spending the time with me today. It's been great to catch up with you as always. But one final quick plug for people listening. Anything you want to plug on the content and or event side, and then we'll let you get on your way here. No, I'm not going to do too much self-promotion. You know, next we're trying to do our best to produce the best and the greatest content and events that we can. But I, I did want to actually end up Jesse as well with something a bit funny, actually. I don't know if you are aware of Jordan Peroni. Does that name ring a bell to you? Does Jordan not, Peroni? So. No. So if you go on Instagram, Jordan Peroni, this guy, he lives in Winnipeg. And his whole thing on Instagram is that every day, he will film himself taking an ice bath and uh, in the ice bath, he will say something inspirational. And he is like your lost twin. I swear to God, if you go to his Instagram, Jordan.Ferone, F-E-R-R-O-N-E. He reminds me so much about you. It's incredible. So every day I go on Instagram and I see him and then I think about you. And he's done it for like 400 days in a row or something like that now. He's a fantastic guy. So. Check him out if you well, wanted to get the, yeah. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. I don't know if you know this about me. I was actually born in Winnipeg. So perhaps he's like a long lost cousin or something there, like that. I don't know go. in the family tree. <laughs> Dude, it's your family. I swear to God, check this guy out. Like, <laughs> but, but yeah, thank, thank well, you so he, much. Jesse. <laughs> he must come from a different branch because I'm not one for ice baths myself. I'm, I'm too soft for that. So that's, but yeah, thank you so much. Jesse. That, uh, I really appreciate funny. everything. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. And look forward to seeing you in March in New York and wishing you and the team all the best for 2024, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome, man. I'll see you soon, my friend. Thank you, everyone.